This is your host, Terry Noland, and this is your community. Come on in, grab a seat, and strap in. Hey, Literacy Leaders, I am so glad you're here. If you have been listening to this podcast, I am so thankful that you're returning. If you are brand new, welcome. And I mean that with all sincerity, with everything that's in my heart, because if we are going to impact literacy outcomes for our for our students, we need to get together as a community. I never felt that more than what I felt last Friday, June 10th with the community at Learning Ally. We had our annual virtual Spotlight on Dyslexia event, and let me tell you what, it was community-filled. One of the things that I was most proud of was the fact of the faces and voices that were heard throughout the day and a half, not only from our speakers, that's great to have speakers, but it was because of our connection and our networking room. It was because of hearing our community ambassadors introduce speakers. It was because we honored and put a spotlight on educators, on schools, and on districts. That's what made it feel like a community. That's what it made it feel like we're in this together. We've got the comfort of knowing that there are others marching right alongside of us. And I was so honored to be able to be a part of that and see that unfold. In that networking room, I just can't tell you what it was like. And I would run around my little virtual circle and join others and just hear the rich, vibrant conversation and the connections of, hey, can I have your email address? Hey, can I have your phone number? And those connections will continue to last. Our conference was listen, learn, lead. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to share with you why those three words were so important for our conference. Why those three words should be so important for you. Why those three words matter when it comes to literacy. So let's jump right in today. Now, if I were to ask you, why are you an educator? I know the answer I would get. I know what I would hear because I hear, I ask that question. I hear the answers. I do it for the kids. And that's a good answer. I like it. I love it. We should be doing it for the kids. The kids are what it's all about. Those are the, the individuals we're trying to make an impact on. That's why it's so important for us to make sure that reading, decoding, comprehension is taught the right way. It's because of the kids. However, if you've been here long enough, you know I love to reframe. And I want to reframe. Why are you in education? Why are you an educator? Have you ever thought about doing it for you? For you. Because for you means that you need to turn inward and think about your own growth, your own development, your own purpose. If we're just in it for somebody else, which like I said, is a very noble thing to do, but then we get exhausted and we get tired. If we're in it for us, because it fulfills us, the role of education, no matter what role, what classroom, what school or district you're in, it fills your purpose. It gives you a reason to get up in the morning. It makes me who I am. And the kids benefit. 
John Maxwell talks all the time about if you get bigger on the inside, you get better on the outside and you make people better on the outside. You make people better around you. So if you're getting bigger, your kids are going to benefit. Your kids will be the beneficiary. Your colleagues will be the beneficiary of you getting bigger. Let's make this about you for a moment. Let's focus on you, the educator, the individual, the person, the mom, the dad, the the person that, that you are inside. Let's make it about you. But why? Why should we make it about you? I know in education, we are selfless. We are full of selflessness. It's about others. But that makes us tired, like I said. And here's a statement that I want to give you. Are you resting from work or are you working from rest? Let's break that down. Are you resting from work? We've all been there. Uh, Rushing through the day, making bell to bell and student to student and can't wait for that last bell to ring and grab my papers and get ready for the next day and shove everything in a bag and rush home and grab my kids and make sure dinner is on the table, run to all the activities I have, whatever it is. And then I fall into bed at night. Or if you're like me, you sit on that couch and say, yeah, sure, I'll stay awake for this show. And within two and a half minutes, you're asleep. That is an instance of you're resting from work because you're giving so much to other people. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving all day long. You're giving. That is resting from work. Now let's reframe. What about if you were working from rest? What about in those moments of rest. And I know sometimes they're few and far between, especially for those of you that are raising families or have responsibilities. I I get it. But what if you use those moments of rest to rejuvenate, to think about you, to make sure that you are sitting in moments of thought and contemplation, sustained thinking. And then you ran into every school day working from a place of rest, working from a place of centeredness, working from a place of purpose, of who I am. It changes things. Even if it is your thoughts, sometimes we got to change our actions and let our minds catch up. Change our actions and let our minds catch up. Yeah, needs to happen sometimes. So that's why is because I want to place you, the educator, in the chair of importance. Because you deserve it. Because you should be working to better yourself. And everybody else around you is just gonna get better. Ed Milet has a new book out, The Power of One. And in this book, Ed talks about that every individual is one book, one podcast, one relationship, one conference away from greatness. One relationship away from transformation, one book away from transformation, whatever it is, you're one away, the power of one. 
You've been marching, you've been marching, you've been marching, you've been climbing this mountain and when will I ever get to the top? And if you stop one step short, you'll never know what it's like. The power of one. I mean, we've seen this, haven't we? We've seen this in great athletes. Think about Michael Phelps, the power of one. What did one second mean for him? And sometimes tenths of seconds. What did one mean for him? He achieved greatness because he swam one more lap, because he worked out one more time. He did one more push-up. He did one more, one more race than everybody else. One more, one more, one more. What does that mean to you to get big on the inside? One more matters. I say it matters. If you've ever played Pictionary with me, well, you might not want to because you'll get a bruised arm. I'll tell you that because I fight to the death in Pictionary. I want to win. And that last grain of sand that falls out of that hourglass, you better believe I am fighting to the end. One grain, one sand. If we can get it right before that last one drops, one mattered. It mattered. The power of one. I have one of my students that I worked with, and she came to me at the end of kindergarten. At the end of kindergarten, she barely knew her letters, was, was really sporadic in understanding what sound attached to each letter, definitely couldn't read words, guessed a lot. We would practice a word, and, and when we started out with at, A-T, at, and we practiced the a, and we practiced the t, and we blended it together and pushed those sounds together, and, and then she would come up with things like mp, mp, and, and oh my goodness, we practiced over and over, and finally we got to at, and then I put p, the letter P in front of it. Pat. And we worked again and one more time and one more time and one more time. And the true joy and glee came across her face when she read the word Pat and looked at me with her eyes big and bright. And I said, you got it. And I couldn't help from smiling. Her first word. One, the power of one, because one word leads to one phrase and one phrase leads to one sentence and one sentence reads, leads to one paragraph and one paragraph to one chapter and one chapter to many chapters, to a book, to endless, endless transformation. The power of one. Can I take one more student? Yeah, I have to. It's the power of one. Can I learn one new idea? I have to. It's the power of one because it makes me better. And then my kids get better and my colleagues get better. And those that I work with and my parents get better. The power of one. Change your mindset. One up. I, that, if you've been here, like I said, you know that I work out. The power of one. 
I don't do this all the time, but I do it a lot. If, if during the workout, we're supposed to do 25 uh, uh, lunges, or if we're supposed to do 15 sit-ups, whatever it is, I'll do one more, one more. You don't just do what's been told to you. You do one more, the power of one, because it's about me getting better. It's about me fulfilling my purpose, the power of one. And so when we went into our conference this year, I knew the state of affairs and I wanted teachers to know it's about you. It's about you. And if we go in with this mindset of the power of one making me better, then listening, learning, and leading will come so easy. Let's break down those three. Listen. I've been reading a book by Adam Grant, Think Again. It's a New York Times bestselling book. And it's the power of knowing what you don't know. You learn the most when you don't know it. <laughs> you know, when you, think you've, when you think you know it all, you don't. Think again. Adam Grant challenges us to think differently. He shares story after story after story of individuals like one individual that invented the Palm Pilot. Many of you that are old enough to remember that invented the Palm Pilot and said it should only be used for business emails. That's all we need it to do. And everybody was on board and, and you may have had one and wow, it, you know, it was a great thing. But then people were challenging him and said, you know what? People need more than just that in a single device. And over, over in Silicon Valley, what was Steve Jobs doing? They were making a device that could do more than one thing. But no, I know I'm going to stand strong because I truly believe he was unwilling to challenge the status quo. And we know what happened to Palm Pilots. They're obsolete. You can probably only find them on eBay now. He wasn't willing to change his mind. Adam Grant says we've got to change our mind. We've got to think like a scientist. When I was working on my PhD, that was one of the hardest things, I think, to change your mindset and go into research and study with as a blank slate and to say, I'm going to see what the data tells me. And in my mixed methods research, I knew what I wanted the data to tell me. And it was so hard to sit back and not, not try to have my persuasions laid on top of the data that was being presented to me. I had to let the data speak. We've got to think like scientists when it comes to reading. We've got to think like a scientist and, and understand and know that science evolves. And aren't you glad it does? Have you ever been uh, to where you've, you've gone to the doctor and maybe, uh, let's say, you know, some infection or whatever it is, you're like, oh, we've got this new medicine that now you've only got to take two different doses and you're, everything is good to go. As opposed to taking it for seven days straight, three times a day, like, oh my goodness, sign me up. Thank goodness science evolves because it makes things better. Same thing in reading. Science evolves. 
We learn more. We understand more. And it challenges us to get better. My daughter got married last summer. She's a fourth grade science teacher. And in that marriage, we gained a bonus grandson. And it was just not long ago, he was visiting and we were hanging out. And he said, you want to know who, and and he's seven, by the way. Okay. I got to preface this with he's seven, first grade. And he asked the question, you want to know who my two favorite scientists are? You better believe I want to know who they are because that is the coolest statement I've ever heard from out of the mouth of a seven-year-old, a first grader. Yes, yes, I do want to know who your two favorite scientists are. And he said, Albert Einstein and Kenzie. Now, Kenzie's my daughter, his stepmom. And I said, well, yeah, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Why Albert Einstein? Because he taught me about magnets. Okay. Okay. I can get on board with that. That I love it. I love it. Now, why Kinsey? Because she invented the life cycle of a frog. Ah, okay. I'm not sure where he got that from because she didn't tell him that, but she's a fourth grade science teacher. And in her class, she teaches the kids about the life cycle of a frog. Now he's not in her class. He's in first grade. Now they're in the same school, but he, at the end of the day, gets to go visit her classroom. What does he see? What does he see? He's taking in data, taking it in, taking it in. Now I understand he got the data wrong. I got it. I got it. But kids are scientists. They don't come in with preconceived notions. He didn't come in with a preconceived notion that his stepmom couldn't have invented the life cycle of a frog. He never thought that. He put her on the same playing field as Einstein. Kids, they, they don't come in with those preconceived notions. Kids think like scientists. Now, at some point, she's going to have to tell him. No, I did not invent the life cycle of a frog. And in fact, it was several days later when they were together that he asked her, Kinsey, how did you learn so much about metamorphosis? Once again, seven-year-old, oh, I did a lot of studying. (laughs) She's playing into it. She was playing into it. Think like a scientist. Don't come in with preconceived notions. When it comes to reading and reading instruction and understand and know that science advances and thank goodness it does. All right, let's go to learn. Learn. We can listen to the research all day long, the newest insights, the newest studies, the newest understandings. But if we don't learn from it and apply it, it means nothing. Experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience, active experience is the best teacher. That's the best teacher. Put it into action. You've got to be open to learn and try and fail. Learn and try and fail. Learn and try and fail, fail, fail. Can't tell you how many times I've failed as a teacher. But if you are thinking about you getting better, You're going to get right back up because if I keep failing because I'm unwilling to change the way that I've taught for 25 years, nobody around me gets better. I've got to be open to learning, open to trying. This was the case for me and with the students that I work with. 
I had this student and we had worked so long, diagraph AW, and he couldn't get it. Diagraph AW, 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 couldn't get it. Wah, wah. It just, yeah, he couldn't get it. And I was telling this story to uh, my friend, Nancy Young. Many of you may know Nancy. She is the creator, the developer of the ladder of reading and writing. Brilliant. And I was telling her this and she said, you've got to put actions. You've, you've got to make this active so it sticks in their brains. Okay, Nancy, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. All right. Come in here with my students and I, I hold up diagraph AW. Can't get it. Can't get it. And then I say, okay, stand up. Now do the motion, a saw, saw, and we're standing up and we're moving our arm back and forth like a saw, saw, all, saw, all. And a few minutes later, I hold that A diagraph, AW back up. And this student stood up and said, diagraph, AW, saw, all. And he looked at me and he said, Miss Terry, you are a genius. You know what happened? I got better on the inside. I made it my mission to make me better on the inside. And because I was willing to learn and try and ask and put something into into practice, my student got better on the outside of me. That's what learning is all about. That's what learning new strategies, new techniques I see over and over and over again in social media forums. Now, listen, I'm in Texas. We've had some big legislation here happen and teachers are having to take some courses and it's big and it's a lot of time and it is a lot of effort and it's exhausting. But I'm seeing on social media I went to college. Why do I need this? I already, I've been teaching for 20 years and I'm expected to do this. I hear you. I hear you. It's hard to fit things in like that. I know. But that is a mindset of operating out of your memory and out of your past. Don't operate out of your memory and out of your past. Sure. You know what? I went to college. A long time ago. And if I were to rest on everything that I learned back then without pushing myself and challenging myself, where would I be today? Don't live out of your memory and out of your past. Operate out of your future. That's what we need to do to be better educators so that I am running headlong every day, working from rest. Be a learner. Don't say, I've always done it this way. I went to college. I learned this stuff. No, no. Even if you did learn science-based, evidence-based approaches to reading, which I would challenge you probably didn't because the research says that most colleges do not and did not teach that way. Even if you did, let's say you were among the very small percentage that did, things change. Challenge yourself, learn, grow, be in places like our Spotlight on Dyslexia Conference where we challenge one another and we sharpen each other. 
That's where I want to be. I want to be in a community just like that. All right, last one, lead. Lead, listen, learn, lead. Leadership is not about place or position. Leadership is about my values, my characteristics, my traits, my qualities. Leadership is about influence. And if you are going to be a leader, you will eventually be someone that has a microphone because you're going to be someone people want to listen to. If you're coming and you're sharpening one another, making other people better around you, that's what I want to do. I want to be better so I can make people better around me. And if we're going to be literacy leaders, isn't that what we want? It's not about I'm right, you're wrong. You know what? That's not leadership. That's that's a politician mindset. Have a leader mindset. Have a scientist mindset. Let's sharpen each other. You've heard the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. I grew up on a ranch. I know what that's like. We had a horse named Sonny and we would, you know, I would get out in the pasture and you could lead him over to the pond and he would stand there and stammer and stomp his feet. He would never take a drink. But you know me, I love to reframe. You can lead a horse to water and you can get that horse to drink if you know what makes him thirsty. If you know what makes him thirsty and you know what, I knew what made Sonny thirsty. You see, when I was growing up, this is the horse that I learned to ride on. I mean, I was on this horse by the time I was three years old by myself. And I remember as I got older, 11, 12 years old, and my dad would, we would get out there and we would work the cattle and, and we would take Sonny and you would saddle him up at the barn and we would walk away from the barn off into the pasture to work that cattle. And he would stumble and stammer and he, it was like he weighed thousands of pounds. He couldn't move. The minute we were done and you turn that horse back to the barn, you better believe he got a pep in his step. So much so that I can remember flying down the dirt road, my dad in front of me on another horse, me on Sunny, my my legs could barely reach the stirrups. I'm holding on to that saddle horn for dear life. And we would gallop home with sweat pouring off that horse, the smell that I love the most. Because he saw that barn. And when he saw that barn, there was no stopping him. That's what made him thirsty. I want to get back to that barn and get this saddle off my back. That's what made him thirsty. If you're trying to be a literacy leader in your school and in your district, find out what makes people thirsty. You're trying to convince an administrator, find out what makes them thirsty. Is it research? Is it data? Is it outcomes? Is it stories? Is it students? What makes them thirsty? Not not what makes you thirsty because it's different. What makes them thirsty? And if you can figure out what makes them thirsty, bring it to them. That's what's going to change their mindset. That's how we're going to move outcomes in literacy. Find out what makes people thirsty. Students. 
You got students, middle school, high school. I hate reading. I'm not a reader. You're not going to make me read. It's because you haven't found out what makes them thirsty. What makes them thirsty? There's a book for every child. The power of one. What's that one book? What's that one phrase? What's that one thing? And don't stop till you find out what makes them thirsty. At our conference, Amir Baraka. Oh my goodness. The money spent on that conference is worth his keynote session. Nobody ever found out what made him thirsty. And he had to live a life of dissent into crime before he could climb out and ascend to where he is today. Nobody found that out for him. So friends, I'm going to tell you what, those of you that were at the conference, oh my goodness, you felt it. If you weren't there, you can still get access. I'm telling you, incredible, incredible. I want every single one of you to go out as literacy leaders that listen, learn, and lead. Thank you for going on the journey today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn. If we are going to make an impact on education, create significance in the lives of our students, we need you. If you want to learn more about Learning Ally, visit us at learningally.org and be a part of a transformational community.